Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8718 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning, Minnie? Look, I'm actually a bit sore because I've been... <laughs> I don't have any upper body strength, so I've decided I'm going to start doing push-ups. Okay. So I've been doing that. But what How I many? To tell you How about, many? <laughs> look, <laughs> currently I can do three, but three proper, like proper boy push-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I want it. Mm, I'm not going to tell you On your hands or do. your fists? Oh, my yeah, hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you got to do it from your fists. It gets, yes. That's it. Three, three on your fists for tomorrow. Okay. Okay. I reckon I could do that actually. It'd be hard, but I could do it. But I want to do lots by the end of the year, but I'm not saying how much in case I don't get it. (laughs) But I want to tell you what I'm grateful for. Okay. It's spring. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. You're not allowed to be grateful for that. Yes. No, you're not. Why? Because that's what I'm grateful for. That's what I had down. I was like, okay, so here's what I'm going to be grateful for. It's the 1st of September. <laughs> we can both be mutually grateful. Oh, I was so happy. I like, wait, okay, let's be honest, it took me a while to wake up this morning. But when I woke up, I was like, spring. I was so happy. <laughs> I looked out the window, I was like, no clouds, oh, a bit of clouds. But it's spring. For those of you who were in the uh, Newcastle, Lake Macquarie region, yesterday it was spring in the morning and then winter again in the afternoon. Oh, cheeky. But it, it's now officially spring regardless of what happens. It sure is. Winter was just having that one little, like, I'm just going to give you guys one big punch before I go yeah, out. Not ready to be done. Yeah, not yeah. ready to be done. Well, apart from that, how are you feeling? Oh, just amazing. Good, good. Just amazing. <laughs> it's the first of September. What can I say? I know, honestly. It's, it's just, <laughs> I like look forward to spring before winter even begins. I'm like, oh, winter's coming, but spring will come soon. One less blanket last night. Yes. You know, that's always a step up. That's always a positive thing when there is one less blanket on the bed. Mm-mm. It's a sign of good things to come. It is. That's this. Life is looking up. The garden has got flowers in it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay. So in some positively different news today, um, some good news stories. So a Brazilian high school student has organized his own project to help people in Brazil's favelas defend themselves against the coronavirus. So oh, the favelas cool. are the slums, essentially, in Brazil. And um, he just kind of has seen this need where, he, you know, he makes this comment that some people in the community can't necessarily even afford to buy soap. You know, so when it comes to like, hey, wash your hands, do the things, he's like, well, if they can't even afford to get the soap, that's not going to work. Yes. Um, they can stay at home, they can isolate. But, yeah, there's a lot of, like, poverty, a lot of people in one spot. So he now I watched the video with him making his own solution, but it was very sciencey, and I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. But go him. He just went and read a whole bunch of articles um, and reports on coronavirus, and found a simple, um, affordable, and effective solution against coronavirus. It's a homemade solution. All I remember is it has something to do. There's bleach in it, but he gave me an explanation of why you can't just use just. Just bleach. And you Straight bleach, yeah, because your skin will come off. Yeah, but he was like specific you know, to do as far as coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Straight bleach. Yeah, but that was a component. And then he went in to talk about hydrogen, anyway, things. Uh, yeah, anyway, so basically he went, um, found this. Um, I think he started a GoFundMe project to raise some money. And then he just started uh, creating his own um, packs to take out to the community of food, hygiene products, and this. Um, anti-COVID solution. Yes. And so he, he got about 500 families um, to receive this. And I was like, man, for a high school student, 
who like just has the desire to go do the scientific research to find out this. Like, well done you. Because yeah, I don't know that yeah. <laughs> I would probably just be like, I just need money to buy them hand sanitizer or like buy them soap. Um, anyway, so go him. And, and doing chemistry and mixing stuff together and making stuff, you know, by this compound and that compound and the other, it's just so much fun. Oh, yeah. Look, it's interesting. I'm just not very good at it. I, I, had, a friend, <laughs> I had a friend of mine who came over on Saturday night and he brought his chemistry gear and we went out in the workshop and we did chemistry and it was just ridiculously that is fun. a fun Saturday night. Oh, it was the best Saturday night I've had all year. <laughs> Seriously, it was amazing. That's fair. That's fair. Yes. Um, but yeah, as, as well as his project, he also combined it with not only the distribution but also about education about using these products, which kind of makes sense. Like I think if people know why they need to do something, they're more likely to do it. doesn't mean they will. But they're more likely. Um, but yes, this is a twofold thing. But you know what? I think that's a great Saturday night. I, um, yeah, go you. <laughs> <laughs> um, in another story, um, there is a man and his name is Lloyd Hornsby. And until he was 59, he'd been told that he, um, his ancestry was that he was a Kiwi Māori with ancestors from Rotorua in North Island. Okay. But some ageing family members revealed that they actually have a connection to the Yuan Nation in the southeast New South Wales, so Indigenous, Indigenous Nation okay. in Australia. Yep. Um, so he decided to... So wait, so he's, he's, he's part Maori? Well, no, he thought he was. Oh. Yeah. So he's not part Maori at all? That he knows of. Yeah. It's so I'm actually, thinking he was a Maori Aboriginal mix, but he's not. He's just Aboriginal. Just Aboriginal. But then he started okay. filling in the gaps, and he also found some Chinese ancestry, which cool. they just didn't know about, which he just... He just got excited, right? You know how the other week, uh-huh. if you guys were listening, um, Lyle was very excited about finding some family history, and then yes. we all got excited about finding some family history. And, yeah, so he found out he has um, Chinese ancestry as well, and he just, thought, he just got very excited. So then at 73, so this is like years later after he finds out that he's not um, Māori, he began to channel his discoveries into transformation becoming an internationally acclaimed Indigenous artist with a painting set to hang in the Louvre? Louvre, the, the, the place. Louvre, the okay. Louvre in yeah. France. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. So, well-known art place um, in October this year. And now, museum. Yes. Yeah, and so basically his paintings are a blend of dreaming stories, Chinese symbolism and intergalactic constellations. Okay, so this guy didn't even know that he had an Indigenous history. No. He's fa- and he didn't know that he had a Chinese history. No. And so he's found that out. He's uh-huh. embraced these two cultures. Mm-hmm. He's blended them together. And he's made that's artistic. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and he didn't know that it was, like, that good. He was just doing it. It was, like, personal discovery and, like, he was talking about, you know, it's actually quite an emotional journey for him, mm. which I think is what's really fascinating about family history, how much, um, even though it, it kind of doesn't affect our identity, to find out where we've come from seems to affect people a lot, like it does matter. Anyway, so he, he kind of talks about his journey a lot. But, yeah, he was like, he was just doing it just for him, right? And then, you know, he kind of shows people and things and um, someone somewhere along the way, um, I don't know where he put it out. I, I missed that kind of part. But, yeah, he was basically contacted to contribute art to the Canes, can't, can't, Anyway, the art festival, again, in Europe. And he was just a bit shocked. He's like, oh, why do you want my art? And they're like, well, because we like it. Obviously a bit more professional than that. Um, and, yeah, so he would love to travel to China to connect with his Asian heritage, but a rugby injury left him with an inner ear injury that prevents him from driving and going on planes. So he can't do that, but is very excited about this art situation over in France. That's very cool. Yeah. 
You were smiling before. I don't know if it has to do with the story. No, I was I was multitasking again. Oh, were you though? I was multitasking again and having pleasant memories about uh, Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and chemistry experiments. Brilliant, brilliant. So I can see where you're much. No, that's. You know what? This is a bit sidetracked. But going back to this thing you're telling me about. Oh, from Saturday. I just think adults don't do that as much anymore, right? Like, you know, when you're a kid, you're no. like, we're going to do this, we're going to have an adventure, we're going to explore a thing, and then it just kind of happens less as you get older? Uh-huh. But when it does happen, it's very cool. It's the best. Yes. I think we should do it more. Absolutely. Every time I do something, not that exact situation, with other people, I'm like, why, why don't we do this more? What is this get get around and sit and chat and be adult about? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. You're not but... really into the adult thing so much, right? Oh, nah. <laughs> 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 I mean, there are some aspects for sure, but yeah, not yes. not entirely. Yeah, no, we we all need to stay in touch with the child. With the Bible says, unless you become as little hey, children. See, there you go. There I've got go. biblical biblical, biblical <laughs> mandate for this. I have a biblical <laughs> mandate for this. I'm going to have to tell this to some of my friends who do get accused of being children at times. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, welcome to the show. G'day, Lyle. Good to be with you. Martin, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the uh, uh, anti-conversion therapy uh, legislation that has uh, been passed in a number of states and territories. Um, Now, when we think about, you know, gay conversion therapy and... You know, look at some of the techniques that have taken place in the past. We can think about, you know, electric shock therapy, nausea therapy, you know, these kinds of practices that we would definitely find to be abhorrent. I guess my question is, you know, isn't, isn't outlawing these kinds of practices a really good thing for us to be doing right now? Oh, I think there's absolutely no doubt that if legislation was passed that outlawed those practices, uh, we'd all sit back and go, oh, well, no worries, of course. Um, all of those things, anything that's coercive, anything that's aversive, anything that's abusive, uh, anything that is rooted in that kind of dark old days madness uh, is a bad thing, uh, is a disgraceful thing, and uh, it well and truly should be gone. Um, although there's one point to be made on that, which is that it is gone in Australia and uh, there's no evidence that that sort of thing is taking place anywhere in this country and people have looked for it. So uh, the question arises, uh, all right, if none of that stuff is happening and we have these laws being passed which are titled very controversially anti-conversion therapy laws, what exactly are the laws banning? What exactly are they targeting? And the devil really is in the detail. And I think these are some of the most uh, regrettable laws uh, to be passed uh, in recent times, not because I support that kind of stuff. I don't, but because they actually ban something else. Okay, so where actually where is the problem in uh, in what is taking place? And I guess I guess there are a few different versions of these laws, um, and and each different version of them, you know, according to which state or territory it's in, has its own uh, challenges. Where are some of the challenges that we're finding in, in in some of this legislation that's being passed? Well, the most recent uh, piece of legislation passed was in the Australian Capital Territory, uh, and that has been by far the most radical. Now, that legislation effectively bans any kind of conduct that does not, uh, that is anything less than affirming of an individual's chosen gender identity uh, or sexual uh, orientation or sexual identity, even if they're a child. 
So in practice, that means a few things. You can take, for example, a parent. Let's say the parent has a five-year-old son. And let's say that the the five-year-old son uh, announces to their parent that they would like to be a girl. And the parent sits back and thinks, hmm, what to be done here? And they decide that the best course of action in this case uh, is for them to continue to treat their son as a boy and to see how this all pans out. Now, that's not just uh, uh, something that a parent might like to do, but it's also pretty wise thing to do because we know from the research that in something like 80 plus percent of cases um, uh, kids revert back to their natal um, sex in terms of how they identify uh, in, in a fairly short period of time so waiting and seeing or saying well no Tommy we won't call you Sally just yet let's wait and see or, or whatever or perhaps encouraging him to think think again about his uh, what he's saying that under this legislation could in fact be a criminal offence and that sounds insane but the ACT Law Society, which is, you know, not given to uh, extra, uh, to uh, sensationalism or anything like that, they came out on ABC Radio and they said, no, that is actually correct. The concerns being raised by ACL and others are, are, are actually right. Uh, and so that, to me, is a huge infringement on parents' rights and I think something that many mainstream parents uh, are very, very concerned about. So you can see it in that context. You can also see it in the context of, say, a pastor in a pulpit. And let's say that the pastor is teaching one week on God's design for sexuality and marriage and, and male and female. And perhaps he talks about the Genesis story and talks about God made them male and female in his image. And he makes a comment that, uh, you know, um, this is how God made us. And, you know, the best thing we can do and we're called to do is to live as man and woman. Or perhaps he'll talk about the, the God's design for sexuality. And he'll talk about the fact that it's one man for one woman to the exclusion of all others for life. And he will exhort. Uh, those in the church to to live by that standard. Okay, well, that too is illegal conversion therapy uh, under these strict terms of this legislation. The same too for a doctor uh, who might have a child come in or an individual, let's say they're an adult, and they report gender dysphoria and the doctor might say, well, all right, let's investigate a little deeper here. Let's find out if there's some other comorbidity, some psychosis or some depression or something that's, you know, fueling these feelings. Well, again, that's not what they call affirmative treatment. He's not simply embracing what the person says about their gender. And again, that is in breach of the legislation. This is a diabolical thing. When you start going through the actual practice of it, it's pretty full on. It's open to total abuse by activists. Uh, And it certainly puts a lot of Christians and a lot of ordinary folks in in the parenting sphere in a pretty tough situation. It certainly does. And uh, what's taking place there in the ACT is definitely very concerning. Um, I understand that they did sneak through or slip in a small amendment to that just before it went through. Can you uh, comment on that briefly? Yeah, there was a, well, it was a sort of a sort of an amendment. Um, one of the, one of the things we were able to do was to get the opposition to speak very eloquently against the legislation and to put up some great amendments, although they weren't accepted. So it was really nice to have that kind of really clear cut opposition, uh, and a difference actually on the record between the parties. But in terms of what the government did, they put up an amendment, but it, it didn't mean much. It was a it was a change to the explanatory memorandum, which comes into play if the legislation's ever, you know, uh, in a courtroom and it, there's some ambiguity about what it means. They might look at the explanatory memorandum to try and figure it out. And the explanatory memorandum was changed to say that it's not intended that a mere statement of religious belief would be conversion therapy. 
Uh, it's interesting they felt the need to put that in, so it sort of affirms our concerns. However, it's unlikely that the relevant conduct would be a mere statement of belief. I mean, you even take a pastor in a pulpit. He's not just stating belief nine times in ten. He's exhorting people to live by a belief, uh, and that's the problem. But also you take a parent situation like I've described. It's not a statement of a belief. It's actually parenting. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's conduct towards a child. So we don't think that that, led, that amendment will make a big difference to the way that the law is applied and the potential abuse for the law. The main thing for us is to highlight what's going on, to highlight the true nature of these things. They're so controversial, people find it hard to talk about it. So we're sitting here saying, well, yeah, all right, let's all admit that conversion therapy is evil, but let's also admit that it's not happening in Australia and let's say what's going on in these laws, aha, it's not all all good. So we want the word to get out there so that when these laws come to other states and territories, as they surely will, um, and South Australia, for example, has made some sort of mention of the fact that they might look at it. Uh, we want people to be prepared. We want politicians to be prepared to speak clearly about them uh, and to make sure that, that, that they're not as dangerous as the ones that have passed in Canberra. When you've got a when you, when you've got a piece of legislation that has explanatory notes in it, how powerful are the explanatory notes uh, when something actually goes to court? I mean, is our religious liberty? Um, hanging on something fairly flimsy here, or are these explanatory notes actually law as such? Yeah, the explanatory notes aren't the best place to put um, the amendments. I think if the government really wanted to plug a hole or was really concerned to make sure that the legislation wasn't abused by activists, so the activists don't go out there and haul pastors into the Human Rights Commission and stuff like that, if they really wanted to stop that sort of thing, they would change the terms of the legislation itself. The explanatory memorandum certainly isn't like a term of the legislation. It's not what the court goes to first to find out what the legislation means. The court will go to it second if it needs to. So it might read a part of the legislation and go, hmm, we're not sure what that means in this context. And that happens a lot. Sometimes it's not totally clear. And they might then go to the explanatory memorandum to get greater clarity. So, you know, it's worth something, but it's, 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 it's a fairly weak sort of an amendment. And as I said, I'm, I'm not sure how effective it will be in practice or how much it will protect um, uh, people of faith and parents and, and groups like that and medical professionals in particular as well. Sure. Now, if we could just uh, consider the Queensland scenario for a moment, um, just looking at the Queensland's legislation, you've got this statement there, you know, a person who is a health service provider must not perform conversion therapy on another person. Um and then it goes on to define a health service provider to include anyone who provides a service that is or purports to be a service for maintaining, improving, restoring or managing people's health or well-being. Now, under that definition there, would it be unreasonable to claim that uh, a church pastor, for instance, provides a service to maintain, manage or restore a person's well-being? That is... A distinct possibility. Um, I think the Queensland situation is a little different. The Queensland bill used to be about as bad as the bill that they passed down in Canberra. But because of a lot of speaking by the Australian Medical Association, the Queensland Law Society, the Australian Christian Lobby and others, the Queensland government uh, watered it down quite a lot. And so now it mainly does apply to health service providers. It's a good question you raise, Lyle, about whether or, not, whether or not a pastor fits in that definition. And I think it's definitely arguable. And if it's arguable, someone will have a crack. 
And so I think the important thing for Queenslanders is if, uh, if, if they're a pastor or they're in a similar role and they face some kind of legal action over this, they should get really good legal support uh, because uh, their case or what the uh, Human Rights Commission decides about their case could become very significant to how that legislation is applied in the future. We don't want it to be applied to other pastors and, and, and so forth. At the moment, it just applies... At the moment, it's taken to apply to doctors, counsellors, people like that, which is not great because uh, doctors and counsellors and psychologists, they want the freedom to always act in the patient's best interest. They don't need this kind of absolute um, standard uh, sitting over the top of them in some other legislation saying, well, no, you can't do anything other than affirm the patient. Well, a lot of doctors and counsellors and psychologists who are very reasonable people would come out and say, that's not always the best thing to do. It's more complicated than that. Human beings are more complicated than that. Uh, and uh, I would be concerned for sure that they'll have a crack at a pasta under that definition. Yeah, and I guess in a in, in a uh, in a best case scenario, they're going to have a crack at a pasta, and that's going to create a lot of uh, stress and cost to that particular individual. Worst case scenario, if it goes badly, then it becomes, I guess, what we might call case law. Is that uh, how it would work? And and then could be broadened to include pastors. Yeah. So if uh, a pastor was uh, brought before, say, the Queensland Commission. Um, because somebody decided to have a crack and the Queensland Commission said, all right, let's go for it. Uh, and then the pastor went to the commission and then they tried to resolve the matter through talking to each other and it didn't work. And then it went to court. Uh, and then if the pastor lost in court, it would become case law, which would mean that the legislation would, from that time forward, clearly, as the court will have said, apply, it will clearly apply to pastors. Mm. Uh, and so then all pastors will be in trouble. So... That's the concern. We, we certainly wouldn't want case law to uh, be put down that says pastors come within the definition of health professional. Um, and so the important thing for all pastors and people of faith is to get really good legal support uh, in those circumstances. We've just got a little bit of time left, uh, Martin, and I'm wondering whether I can ask you about um, the um, uh, Fiona Patton and the education training reform amendment that stops public schools from hiring non-teaching staff through a third-party provider. Can you comment on what this is all about? <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, with Fiona Patton, um, you know, I chuckle because Fiona Patton is, is so, she's so transparent sometimes. Uh, she, she has a real concern about the role of religion in the public square and the role of religion in public education the role of religion in politics and she does a lot of things to try and cut religion out uh, and people of faith out uh, more importantly and so what this bill is about in Victoria is to try and prevent schools in the state of Victoria from hiring chaplains because that's the model that they use to hire chaplains they'll go through a group like Scripture Union or in Victoria I believe the main one is Access Ministries uh, and that's the third party provider that her legislation is referring to of course, they're a third-party provider of chaplaincy. Now, I think they've already been squeezed out of Victorian schools to some degree, but they still do quite a bit of after-hours work. So after 3 o'clock, you know, at the end of the day, there are chaplaincy services and so forth in many schools, and uh, her legislation would stop even that from taking place. And so, yes, it is a, it is a, uh, it is a, a kind of uh, smartly worded but actually 
not that, uh, you know, but actually quite transparent uh, attack on Jacqueline. Yeah, I mean, is could this could we see where this would be, you know, providing an improvement to the educational system um, in some other area other than, I guess, from her perspective, getting rid of uh, chaplaincy out of schools? Oh, they really, you, I can't think of any other uh, similar um, service that it would prevent. Uh, she really is targeting chaplains, if that. Mm. Uh, which is a shame because I think um, when chaplains were are in schools and, and the schools that have chaplains, and particularly in states like Queensland and that, uh, the reports overwhelmingly are how welcome they are in the school community uh, and how much they are liked uh, and how the students benefit from them. And there's been an awful lot of work done to show that actually the spiritual well-being of students is super important and the chaplains bring something really vital to a school community. So it is a dislike of religion and it is a sort of a, as you point out a very clear attack on, uh, on, on on faith in schools, but it's because of Fiona Patton's ideology. It's not because of anything practical. These are actually a, a real asset to schools, these chaplains. For sure. Martin Niles, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Absolutely. My pleasure. Have a great day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is now time for Question of the Day. So we had a question come in just before the show was about to start this morning. Angela, what is our question of the day today? All right. Who is Michael the Archangel? Okay, this is a really good question. It does come up from time to time, and so we do answer it from time to time. We don't have time to dig into all of the ins and the outs of this in just four minutes. So if you would like uh, more information, then um, shoot us a message. We can send you a bit of a Bible study on it that goes through uh, in much greater detail. However, let's look at some basic principles here. The uh, From various churches, some churches say that Michael the Archangel is Jesus Christ. Other churches say that Michael the Archangel is one of a number of archangels whom they name. The only one that is found in the Bible is called Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is, call, is not called an archangel in the Bible. Gabriel is just called an important, well, seen as being an important angel. And then, of course, various traditions have created traditional angels like, you know, Raphael and so forth that... Um, you know, this purely from tradition. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. Those who say that Michael the Archangel is not Jesus Christ have a very important reason for saying so, and their argument is based on the fact that Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is the ruler, the creator, the sovereign Lord of everything that exists. He is eternal. He is pre-existence. He lives for eternity. He has always existed. Listed and he is God, and so they say, Well, you can't have God being an angel. Now, when they make that statement, which is a true statement, you can't have God being a created angel. What they do miss is the meaning of the word angel. The meaning of the word angel is messenger. And so, here's my question to all of you Is God a messenger? Now, when we use the word angel in the Bible and we uh, translate the word messenger and we translate it you know, from the Greek word angelos or messenger, then we normally apply it to a messenger from heaven, which is your classical angel. We don't always apply it that way. King David is referred to as an angel. The apostle Paul is referred to as an angel. So human beings are referred to as an angelos because they are a messenger. Once again, I ask the question, was Jesus ever a messenger? Did Jesus ever bring a message? And the answer is yes. Yes, Jesus did bring a message. 
and Jesus was a messenger. We'll look at a couple of verses very quickly. The first one that we're going to look at is in Genesis. Oh, we're nearly out of time already. Ah, We're going to do this in two parts. So let's look in Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48, and we're going to go to verse 16. Where has Genesis gone? Here it is, verse 16. Jacob says, The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Okay, who is our Redeemer? We only have one Redeemer, and that's Jesus Christ. It's impossible for anyone else to be a Redeemer other than Jesus Christ. This is clearly a reference to Jesus Christ, and he's referred to as an angel. If we go to the story that we were talking about during our Bible study today, we go to Exodus chapter 3, and we find in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Moses in a flaming fire out of the middle of the bush. So who was in the middle of the bush? The Bible says the angel of the Lord was there. In verse 4, it says when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him, called to him out of the bush. The Bible says the angel of the Lord was in the bush. The Bible says that God was in the bush and that God introduces himself as the great I am. The great I am in the Bible is referred to as an angel. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow. We'll do part two as we continue this important question. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.